bla 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 bla. Hello, and welcome to See One, Do One, Teach One, the podcast dedicated to becoming a better medical educator. With me, Pick Mukherjee, and Tom Pereira. So, Tom, I hear that we're talking about millennials. Millennials. Yes, we, we actually uh, had somebody ask us uh, if there are differences in the way you teach millennials. So let's break that down. When I hear millennial, mostly it's not a positive... No, it's bad. It's very bad. It's, very, a, it's a very negative thing. Ooh. So uh, this is a generation that has been called lazy and distracted and entitled and they're supposed to have no loyalty so we have a millennial with us uh, jeremy <laughs> fama who will join us and help us discuss different ways that we train millennials so jeremy you lazy uh that i don't i don't feel lazy I mean, uh, I'm just thinking back to my shifts at Shock Trauma during second year, doing 24-hour shifts every three days, and I certainly didn't feel lazy then. So uh, I'm not sure exactly where where this is coming from. but I, I definitely think that every generation going back as far as Socrates has called the generation after them most of the words that we just said. The generation that had a TV for the first time was definitely distracted. Sixties, oh. where I was born, pot smoking, lazy, no work ethic. Oh, you got like back to Aristotle. Oh, kids these days, they want like tablets to write down their epic poems instead of memorizing them. Their brains will rot. So we actually totally believe that a lot of that is the normal. Uh, one generation looking at the next generation. But we want this episode to be about how do you teach to this generation? Because I think that there are some huge differences. The idea that you are a digital native, right? You grew up with computers and searching. So, so how does that manifest for you? Growing up with the internet and how easy it is to look something up, it's just become so easy for us to learn with all the information at our fingertips. So I feel like it's... We're, we're used to it coming to us easily. So we, how as someone in a prior generation had to go through textbooks, flipping through, looking up information, printing out the articles and everything. Uh, I think it takes us much faster and it's much easier. And if it seems like it's going to take a lot more work than I'm used to to obtain this information and learn, I might not be as open to going. Through. So you are lazy because you don't want to do the work not and you're doesn't it make you super distractible? Is it all a generation of ADD? I think it's efficiency. Efficiency. I, I, I like I, that better. I totally agree with that. I think that if you have a system where you're printing out articles and saving them, in this day and age, you've kind of missed the boat. So if we're going to take this, you're the digital native, and, and use that for teaching, how are we going to do that, Pick? So I think it's obvious that uh, we're not going to turn the time back to uh, you should read lots of textbooks. I think you said that it's much easier to get the information in a timely manner. So we talk about just-in-time teaching. And why would you trust your brain to accurately recall what you might have read in the past when you could, you know, check it in like three seconds. So I think it's probably a patient safety thing that says we should all be more digitally native. And all the AI that has started to get built into our EMR is all based on this. Recommendations change. 
So wouldn't it be nice that when you type out a diagnosis, the next possible treatments pop up and are ready to go and even reference the article that says this is why we do this now. We have that around stroke. We have that around uh, a lot of things. And that is hampered toward your generation. So how does that manifest itself in the lecture hall? So in the lecture hall, I think that if people are very used to looking up something, point of care, digital uh, checking, then we should probably embrace that. We should probably have a, a real-time Googler who is uh, something that wasn't there in an article. Yeah, tell me, go look that up and, and bring that back to us eight seconds from now. Uh, what is that article? Uh, was this reviewed on a uh, by some experts? Yes, here are the recommendations from the American College of Cardiology from 2022 last month. We are, can be up-to-date and real-time, and actually, I think it gives you a lot of flexibility in the classroom because people ask a question, and instead of going, that's an interesting question, I will look that up later and get back to you, and I never will, you could just say, hey, Jeremy, look that up for us. We'll ask you in like a minute. There's so many good learning theories that fit that. that the fact that you're actively using your fingers uh, and looking up information and forming your own questions all becomes part of the learning process and makes it much more likely that you remember the answer than it just being put up on a PowerPoint slide. Right. We're not distracted digitally. We're uh, constructivists creating our knowledge and seeking it out. So I think that, that that's one way. Recently, and this is not just an aimed at millennials, but we obviously went through the pandemic. Everybody was moved virtually. And you know, as we've gone live again, I miss the chat bar and people able to ask questions in real time and participate in the presentations as much as they did when we were virtual. That's a, good, that's a great point. How many times in conference is someone raising their hand anymore to ask a question? So I think they had the opportunity to be able to Google chat bar or Google the, hey, this article that I found, it might more be a lot more likely to get that kind of participation. So the digital native piece has the potential to make your audience participate much more than whatever, you know, stigma is against raising your hand in conference. Oh, definitely. I definitely think there are people who participate purely in text format, right, on a case discussion basis. And the beauty is they may not have, as you said, raised their hand or spoken up, but also other people are responding to that question. Instead of the speaker, as a group, you have a collaborative kind of learning, and a lot of the questions are being answered by their peers. I think it's great for engagement. I think it takes care of a lot of the teaching points without the speaker even having to get involved. So distracted. Another thing that was a negative uh, about uh, this generation, let's talk about it as a positive. First of all, this is emergency medicine. We live our lives with many inputs. So it is not surprising that I don't look at multiple inputs and wanting short, concise answers to things as really a negative. Have you ever sat through that lecture where they talk about the kidney and they have to start with the anatomy? And then they have to name everything. And then you get the arterial supply. And that has nothing to do with what you are eventually going to learn, but it's ways some presenters learn to teach. Well, you know what? Cut all that stuff out. If it becomes important to what you're trying to teach, then teach the piece that you need. But not every lecture needs to have the why I'm giving this lecture section. Just cut it and get to the three main points. And that's not just millennials, that's us.
So that's a, a big thing for education that we ask our speakers to do. Can you tell me the three take-home points you want to convey? And if you haven't hit those and hit those several times, you're probably going to get there. My favorite is the uh, black and white picture of the beard man. And it's like some beard man in 1912 first described Henry Cavendish's law of beardness. And then uh, from this we got the, and now I will tell you about the anatomy of the tongue. And it's like, dude, you're just wasting just my time. Just cut that whole beard out. I mean, we unless it's, beardless a, lectures. If it's no, a really no, no. funny story, I will allow it. Other okay. than that, no. So engagement, take-home points, uh, and reinforcing take-home points all play pretty well to let's keep it clear and short and concise. The other thing that's really important here is multimodal learning. If you alternate between pictures and video and voice, if you add real-time drawing, all of these things capture the eye. Uh, the, the mere fact that you're changing all of these means your audience listens. The monotone voice that starts out a lecture and walks through for 30 to an hour Oh, and by the way, millennials never want to sit through an hour lecture. True. Just all that multimodal learning is a very positive thing, and I think this generation has embraced it. I love it. I think that uh, you mentioned a self-determination learning theory that might play well here. Uh, it is about uh, millennials needing and wanting to have choices. So having that multimodal thing where let me gravitate towards the thing that I get to choose, having an idea of what this knowledge is going to do for me, which is a very adult learning, uh, where is this going, how is this going to help me kind of idea, and an idea that uh, millennials want sort of a seat at the table and have their voice to be heard. So I think there is some learning theory that goes along with this too. The next one on our list of all these negative things about Jeremy's generation was entitled. What do we think about that? What does it seem I'm entitled to? I feel like my generation... I don't feel entitled to anything in particular. I just feel that we are people who are in my generation know what they want. So yeah. that, I think, is so key. What we're really talking about is reward-based learning, right? Because I'm trying to bring it back to learning. If I'm going to do something, what am I going to get for it? Right. So so that it's that simple. It's not, oh, I should be called God King day one. It's it's I want to understand that if I'm going to put the effort into doing this, I should get something in return. I think that's a good point. I think something that is worth thinking about is that maybe what we are calling entitlement is actually just a realization that for years we have been taught to not make our needs known. Uh, that for we are, we've been taught that, hey, you should sacrifice and kill yourself and do the job until you drop. And if you are lucky, we'll feed you someday. And now people go, I'm hungry. Oh, you were you're not entitled to any hot dogs in my day. I didn't eat or drink or pee on shift. So let's let's take those two in two separate areas. So reward based learning is something we can learn from and use as part of our teaching millennial. So this is gamification. This is anything where if you do these three modules, you get a star. This is uh, having, uh, honestly, having a, a sepsis team leader or a sepsis champion. All of that comes from this reward-based learning. You're going to put in the effort. You're going to get something from it. And I think that that can be used for education. So I think this is a, a good idea to uh, lump in with the idea of a lack of delayed gratification that we have, oh, this short attention span and what do I get now? And, and like, I want it now. And I think some of that is we just need to make the goalposts shorter. 
right? There should be some earlier feedback and earlier reward, even if it's the gold sticker or something more tangible, that, that makes it so that you are making progress, that it is not a delayed and who knows where I'm going to get uh, a year from now. It's not the go to work for 30 years and if you're lucky, you get a pension. Well, I was just going to say there's so many senior doctors that I've trained with or been around that don't actually seem that incredibly happy with their lives. So the things that I'm doing now, I want to know how is this going to make me better or happier or more fulfilled in some kind of way. So embrace okay. that. I yeah. love that. If you're going to, so I, I love what Pick said, that maybe we've always weirdly wanted a good life and a good job, but in but, the past, we couldn't talk oh about yeah. it. It's rude to say that out loud. You want to eat and enjoy your life? <laughs> Come on. I'm not sure how much of a change that is, but I do think people being able to talk about it openly is a huge part of wellness. And even just saying the word wellness would have been beaten on uh, in my generation. Let's be honest. There are still eyebrow raises and scoffs when people say wellness. Uh, and sometimes it's because you think it means pizza party and I'm not going to address your underlying concerns. But I do think it's becoming more normalized, and that's the important thing. So talk about the normalization. We went through the pandemic. Now working from home is a normal thing. We were talking about work ethic earlier, mm. and what was valued in the 50s was you go to work for 12 hours at a time, you sweat, and you get the job done. But weirdly, the getting the job done was the last thing talked about. The thing that was talked about was the 12 hours of sweat work you put in there. Now we are shifting to maybe the important part is getting the job done. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the way of studying and everything we've had at our fingertips in my generation. And it's like, if I need to learn this topic, I'm able to do it in two minutes on the internet or whatever resources that, that we have. Yeah. yeah I, so I think this is the, uh, the, the Bill Gates quote. If I got a really tough job, I'm going to give it to the laziest person because they're going to figure out how to do it with the least effort and the least time possible. And that's what you want. So we should probably value the uh, actual work getting done instead of the appearance of like at their desk uh, all the time. Yeah, just showing up and being there, if you're not getting shit done, isn't as valuable to me. You had some studies that you were talking oh, about earlier. We, we, we talk about kids these days and we talk about the distractibility and we talk about the, the work ethic stuff. There was a, a Professor Brodsky who had 60 years of data between 1950 and 2010 to look at uh, kids and their scores on things like patience and delayed gratification and uh, concentration. And he found that they got better over that time, not worse. So it might be us uh, expecting uh, more and more for less and less. Uh, it might be that the kids are actually all right. So digital natives learn quickly, efficiently, and weirdly, studies are showing that you're not worse than we were. I believe it. We do it more efficiently and in a way that makes us more happy. So millennials are better, it turns out. That's the conclusion. Um, you're like the end of the millennials. What do you think teaching uh, Gen Z will be like? Oh, well, I mean, Gen Z, that's a whole nother story. They're distracted, they're lazy, they're entitled, and they're disloyal. <laughs> so, Dr. Fama, what's not a thing today? Millennials sucking is not a thing. Okay, we just kind of talked at length about that. Uh, so I'm going to say that having to memorize treatments and doses for things is not a thing. I think that is so true. I remember when the treatment for Bell's palsy changed three times in a year. And if I had remembered that I was supposed to only give antivirals, which is how the year started, by the end of the year, I was only supposed to give steroids. So that was in, you know... 
1982 uh, well, when you're training. back then, <laughs> the treatments changed. So if treatments changed back then, imagine what it is now. Aren't we like the fire hose it has become like a dam bursting and the new information in articles has increased by like 2,000%. People don't use textbooks because it's impossible to get the information from to a textbook. To carry the textbook because they, they weigh so much? I, listen, my kids' backpacks are legitimately weightlifting. So yes, uh, pe maybe people are digital natives, not for millennial reasons, but because of, you know, back life. Backstrain. Back <laughs> reasons, exactly. So we uh, should look things up. The amount of paper cuts I would get flipping through all the pages to find the one thing would be out of control already. But honestly, how about 50% of the stuff in the textbook might also be outdated itself by this point. Actually, that's the th what I was told in medical school, that 50% of what you learn is wrong, which is probably wrong. By now, it's like 80, 85%. There was a great study that said that at least 30% of what's taught at the bedside on rounds was incorrect. The idea that we are fact-checking, that we are looking things up, from a patient care perspective, is better for the patient, is more accurate, makes you a better doctor. All of these things say, don't memorize the today's treatment and today's dose. Love it. So, Tom, uh, what are you going to do today? No, I think it's more, so, Jeremy, what are mm -hmm. you going to do today? I think I'm going to look up things on Google at the bedside of the patient when I don't know the answer. So that's a perfect millennial thing to do. I think that uh, actually now that you said that, it's kind of weird that we like walk away, Google, come back in like I didn't have it in my pocket or couldn't have done it or they don't have it. That's kind of weird. Yeah. I usually I get embarrassed in front of the patient that, that I don't know what I'm talking about. So I feel like if they look at me looking something up, they're going to lose confidence in me. So I will admit that sometimes I say, hey, let's go look this up. So the patient, the patient knows that we're going to go make sure that it's the right answer, which is not a bad thing. If I know there are going to be two choices that we are working between, it is sometimes good to have that conversation a little away from the patient so that when we come back, we present a unified front of what we are going to do. It is a, I do think it's a little hard for, for patients to figure out, okay, this doctor likes this one and this doctor likes that one. Right, but I think sometimes you're just like confirming a, a fact and you're not being afraid to show the patient that you're going to look up uh, to, to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And they've Googled it, so sometimes they will say, I agree. I very often will, when they give me a medicine, I will say, I, I don't know that medicine well. I want to look up if it interacts with anything else we're doing. And honestly, I really go do that. I did know a lot of the patients are as used to the internet as the millennials and my generation are now that I actually think if I look it up at the bedside, they actually might like that and that I'm showing that I'm actually putting in the effort to make sure I know I'm right about what they're worried about. Sounds like a great thing to do today. Thanks for listening. Go out there and make better doctors. Get out there and make doctors better. Get around.